Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to those that are inside. Welcome outside. Thank you for that great prayer there, Chris. Good to see you guys gathering out there. I'm sure it's like uh, 62 degrees probably and a, a nice little breeze for you. And welcome to the folks that are watching online. Always good to have you. Hey, I got a question. D does anybody here hate returning items more than me? Uh, do you hate returning things? I mean, I hate it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go to the store and, and maybe I'll, I'll buy a shirt and then I'll bring it home or I'll order it online. And, uh, you know, I, I put it on, I'm looking at it in the mirror and, and inevitably it doesn't look quite as good as it did on that mannequin or on that uh, model online. And so I'm like, I got to return this thing. Something's wrong. The, uh, and so I just get overwhelmed with the thought of what I'm going to have to do. Like, I'm going to have to go back to the store. First of all, I got to package the shirt up. I got to take it back to the store. And I want to make sure I got it in a bag so it doesn't look like I just stole it. I'm always thinking they think I just took it and now I'm returning it. And so I bring it back to the store. I got to wait in line and then go to the customer service rep. And I feel guilty. I don't know if anybody else feels guilty. But like, I got to explain while I'm returning this thing. And then I do that. Or, or if I order it online, I got to go online. And you go through the process that you want to return it. Why do you want to return it? Then you print out that packing slip, right? You got to repackage the whole thing, put that sticker on there, right? Then you got to take it down to the post office. But when you get to the post office, they say, no, you got to take it to the UPS store. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, why? I, I just, I don't know what to do with this. And, and honestly, that's why I just, I wait. Like, I wait a long time a lot of times to, to take that thing back. And then when it, I'm finally ready to uh, stop procrastinating and I take it back, I, I go and then I, find, I can't find the receipt, right? And then they're like, I'm sorry, unless you have the receipt, you can't return. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And um, that happens. Or, or you get there, has this ever happened to you? And you get there and they're like, uh, you know, that is 31 days old. And our policy is that it has to be returned within 30 days. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. And no, like, I hate it. Like, I, I hate returning things more than having a colonoscopy. <laughs> like, like, to be honest, I long for a colonoscopy compared to returning an item. It's just that bad for me. I don't know. Anybody else with me on that? No. Okay, two. Well, okay, we got somebody. See, and it's cleansing. It's cleansing and restful. Anyhow, that's a different matter. But... I get really frustrated with returning items or with certain return policies. But did you know that God has a return policy? God has a return policy, and it's better than Amazon's. He actually wants you to return. He wants you to return. He has the most amazing return policy. And a lot of people, I, I think, either aren't aware of his return policy or they just don't care. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, God's return policy. Um, we are wrapping up Hosea. It's the Old Testament book of Hosea. We've been going through it all summer long. Um, we're going to be in chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, you want to follow along. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. It's sandwiched right between Daniel and Joel. So we'll be in uh, Hosea chapter 14. Now, in case you haven't been with us the whole time and you're not sure what's going on with Hosea, let me give you a, a quick recap. 
Hosea was a prophet, so he was a spokesperson for God, and he was um, delivering a message primarily to the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and specifically to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north. And um, what had happened was that the nation of Israel had been unfaithful to God, much like an adulterous spouse, that they had forsaken this love of God and they had turned to lesser lovers. And as a result, they had suffered abuse. They, they, they were um, discarded. They were hurt. It's a message of, of God's pending judgment because of their unfaithfulness. But, it, but it's also a story, a love story of God's unfailing, unending love and how he continues to pursue his bride despite her unfaithfulness to the point that he redeems her, he buys her back in hopes that they will be restored, that she will return, not just physically, but emotionally to him as well. It's an amazing story, the story of Israel. It's their story, but it's also our story. So we're going to begin with um, Hosea chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Return, Israel, return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. After all the unfaithfulness of Israel, after them turning their backs on God, running away from him, after them turning to false gods, to idols that they had crafted with their own hands, after going as far as this as to sacrifice their own children to these made-up gods, God says, I still love you, and I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to redeem you. I want you to return to me. Now, that is a return policy like no other. It's hard for us to fathom, right? Imagine that, that you're a spouse and your spouse has been unfaithful. Would you chase after them? Would you go as far as to redeem them? Most of us would not. When that happens, when, when our, our spouse has been um, in some kind of adulterous relationship, we're done. We're done. There is no coming back from that. And yet, that's not the heart of God. If, if we're among the few who would welcome that person back or receive them back at least, we'd probably hold that over their head for the rest of their lives, wouldn't we? We would make sure that they never forget what they did to us. See, but that is not the heart of God. That is not his return policy. We see his return policy in verses 2 and 3. He said, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say, our gods, to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. God's return policy requires the engagement of our, of our heads, of our hearts, of our hands, and of our spirits as well. Our heads, our hearts, our hands, and our spirits. See, it, it really begins with the acknowledgement 
that we have, in fact, we've turned our backs on God. We've gone our own way. We've been like an adulterous spouse. But we have this conviction and, and we desire his forgiveness. That's where it begins. And then from there, it requires really of us that we recognize that we cannot be saved by any other means but God. We cannot be saved by any other means but God. We can't be saved by a king or another kingdom like Assyria here. We cannot be saved by another god or idol like Baal. We cannot be saved through our own actions, through our own strength like counting on war horses. No, we can only be saved by God. And then finally, it requires us to confess these truths um, with our mouths, to believe them deeply within our hearts, and then to take action, to, to make changes with our actions, with our hands, and to allow God to renew our spirits, to renew our spirits. It requires our heads, our hearts, our hands, and our spirits. Now, God's return policy was actually instituted all the way back at the, at the creation of the first man and the first woman. If you know their story, you know that they turned their backs on him, right? They were unfaithful to him. And that's where that return policy was instituted. And where it began, it had in view all along God himself as the redeemer, it had in view the person of Jesus Christ. And here's how we see it unfold. Um, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 8, really explains to us and sums up in a, in a very succinct way God's return policy. It said, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Will never be put to shame. That's an incredible return policy, don't you think? That, that you will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. And that you have this promise of, of new life and eternal life with God forever and ever in paradise. That's a great return policy. Now, one of the things that it um, points out beginning in verse 4 is, is that with this return policy of God, what you um, bring back and you return to him, it's going to be exchanged for something so much better. So much greater. He has an incredible return policy. Listen to this in verse, beginning in verse 4. This is what he, he says um, he offers us in return. He says, if you'll return to me, I will heal their waywardness. So he, he promises this healing and love them freely. He offers us this unconditional love. It goes on and says, for my anger is turned away from them. We have peace with God. Verse 5, I will... Be like the dew to Israel. He'll, he'll provide nourishment for us. He will, he will blossom like a lily. There's this beauty that will be imparted to us. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. There's a depth of relationship that is found when we return to him. 
His young shoots will grow. We experience growth. His splendor will be like an olive tree. It's, it's long and everlasting. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. You know cedars, how they smell? Well, you'll smell better. It's there. It's right there. The, um, and you won't have to worry about moths either. It's a, it's a great benefit. But if you return to him, verse 7, people will dwell again in his shade. That's God's protection that is offered. And they will flourish like the grain. He's promising immense blessings. They will blossom like the vine. He offers new life. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Again, that offer of abundant life. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? He's pointing to the fact that there's no need to turn to other things, that everything that you need is found in him and him alone. I will answer him and care for him. It's answered prayers and his provision. I'm like a flourishing juniper. The thing with junipers, they, they don't change from season to season. They're the same yesterday, today, and always. And then your fruitfulness comes from me. He points to the fact that he is the source of all of our success. His return policy is like no other. What he gives us in return is something so much greater than what we offered him in the first place. It's, it's kind of like this, this robe, and, and this represents what we return to him, and it, it's, it's dirty, it, it's torn and tattered. It, it's something that we would never take back to a store and, and ask for them to re- receive it in return for something else. Um, well, if this is representative of our lives, we, we tend to, to look at our lives and think, I, I, well, I've got to get it cleaned up. You know, I've got it mended. It needs healing. It needs to be whole. And, and so often that's what keeps us from returning to God because um, of just the, the filth, the, the brokenness that we have experienced. And we're like, no, I, I'm too broken. I'm, I'm too filthy to come back to God. We try to clean ourselves up. And he's like, no, I I just want you to come. I just want you to come like you are because you can never clean yourself up enough. But but I can do it for you. Listen to my return policy. If you'll come to me like this, then this is what I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to make you new and I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to bestow my righteousness upon you. You're going to be like an unblemished lamb. That's what you're going to get in return. If you'll just return to me, that's my policy. Not only that, but as we talked about there, he's like, look, I have so much more I want to bestow upon you. I've got this splendor. I have this beauty that I want to bestow upon you. And so he wants this for us. He wants to bestow his beauty and his splendor and all of his goodness and his power and his grace and his mercy upon us. This is his return policy. He wants us to return to him, blemishes and all, so that he can return to us a new person. The old is gone, the new has come, a new creation. That's his return policy. And so Hosea wraps up this book with an exhortation, with an exhortation to the people to the nation of Israel, to us. Verse 9 says this, Who is wise? Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? 
Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. Listen to that again. The ways of the Lord are right. They were right then. They are right now. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. See, the culture and society of Hosea's day and time had gone from being a a God-fearing culture to really a God-mocking culture. They they had gone from um, trusting in God to exchanging the truth of God for lies. They had even gone so far to call evil good, to call evil good. And because of their prosperity, they had become proud and arrogant. Does that sound familiar to you? Doesn't that sound like what's happening today in our culture, in our society? Like, that's what's happening. We are not so unlike the nation of Israel in the days of Hosea. And so what do we see here? Well, it's saying that it's asking the question, really, who is wise, who is discerning? And it's talking about the ways of the Lord are right. And that um, if, if you embrace the ways of the Lord, the ways of the Lord can act as a bridge and can help deliver you across this great chasm, this great ravine that leads to death, or the ways of the Lord can also act as a stumbling block to some who would trip over it and fall to their death. The ways of the Lord can be both things to different people. See, here the bridge is characterized by godly wisdom and discernment. The bridge is characterized by godly wisdom and discernment. And the stumbling block is characterized by this rebelliousness towards God, his word, and his ways. So the same things, the ways of the Lord, a bridge to some, stumbling block to others. Now, if you know anything about the history of of the nation of Israel, you know that the ways of the Lord actually became a stumbling block to them instead of a bridge. If you look through history, what happened was that they didn't heed the return policy of God. They didn't listen to the words of Hosea on behalf of God, and they continued to do the same old thing. They continued to turn their backs on God, to worship other gods, to, to worship and bow down to idols made by their own hands. They, they um, looked to themselves and, and their own strength because of the prosperity that they were enjoying. They became proud and arrogant. And they also, in their times of need, they looked to other kings and kingdoms. Specifically, they looked to the king of Assyria to save them. But instead of saving them, he killed most of them. He, he wiped out most of, of, of the northern um, region, the ten tribes of Israel. He wiped most of them out. He killed most of them. And those that he didn't, he took into exile and enslaved. He enslaved them. And they would never be the same again. Centuries went by, and there was a remnant of folks that remained who finally returned to the Lord. They returned to the Lord, and then they returned to this promised land that he had given them centuries before. 
but they would never be the same. They would never be the same. And here's, here's my concern, is that I think our country and our culture are on a similar trajectory. And, and sometimes when we find ourselves in the, these places, we begin to do the same thing that the, the Israelites were doing, and we're looking to the wrong means for salvation. We'll, we'll, we'll look to government. We'll look to politicians, to other kings or kingdoms to save us. Sometimes we'll, we'll look to, to false gods and idols to save us, or, or we'll look inwardly. We'll look to ourselves that we are, we are strong, we are independent, we can overcome. And we're looking in the wrong places. We need to be looking to God and him and him alone. We need to recognize, just as, as the Israelites need to recognize, that it begins with this acknowledgement that we have turned our backs on God, that we have gone our own way, and we have to acknowledge that, and then we need to own that, and we need to be longing for his forgiveness. Um, it requires, it requires that um, we recognize that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot be saved by any other means but God himself. Again, no king or kingdom, no God or idol, not even ourselves can save us. And then finally, it, it really requires us to confess the truths, the truths with our mouths. We need to confess it with our mouth. We need to believe it in our hearts. We need to change the way that we're acting. And we need to allow God to renew a right spirit within us. It begins there. It begins with each and every one of us. If we are going to experience this incredible return policy of God, if we're going to experience the blessings that he wants so desperately to bestow upon us. Again, we've been an adulterous bride. We, we have been unfaithful. We've been running from him, and he's been chasing after us, ready to redeem us, to restore us, crying out, would you please just return to me? Return to me. He offered us Jesus Christ, who is that bridge. Jesus is the bridge. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the source of life for us. But we need to embrace him and cross over with him and through him over death and destruction. See, Jesus is not only the bridge, but he's also the stumbling block too. For some, they come to Jesus and they just stumble over him. They cannot get over his claims. And so, tragically, they fall to their death. Jesus is the bridge and he's also the stumbling block. The question before us this morning is this. This is it. Have you embraced God's return policy? Have you embraced God's return policy? And if not, why not? If not, why not? What are, what are the things that you're turning to instead of returning to God? What are the things, what are the kings, the kingdoms, what are the idols or the, the gods? What are maybe the, the things that draw you into yourself that cause you to turn inwardly? What are those things that you're turning to instead of returning to God? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for um, just this time that we've had in this old, old book of Hosea. That would be easy just to, to skip past and think that's irrelevant to us. I mean, things have changed. Times are different. We're so much more enlightened. 
And yet, when we really dig deep, we see that, that things aren't all that different. The struggles are the same. And Lord, we confess that, that we've, we've been like an adulterous bride. We have been unfaithful to you. We have gone our own way. And we're sorry. And we ask your forgiveness. And we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that you will change us, that you'll change your minds, you'll change your hearts, you'll change our actions, and you'll renew a right spirit within us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our bridge. Thank you. Thank you for your love and for pursuing us even when we didn't want to be pursued. We ask all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.